I was glad that the ladies played this morning, Just Give Me Jesus. And as we look at this book of Revelation, which to many is a mysterious book, but it's a very practical book. It was meant to be very practical to the people that Jesus sent it to, to the churches that were in Asia, to the seven churches there. He said, I want you to know I'm walking in your midst. He was walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's the churches. And he knew what was going on. He, he knew what they were facing. He knew what the church at Ephesus was facing. But this morning we look, we turn our attention to the second church in the book of Revelation, the church at Smyrna. And we talk about when suffering is inevitable. The Lord wanted them to know he understood where they were, where they lived, what their circumstances were. We talked about the city of Ephesus and how at the time it was a port city, a remarkable port city. 225,000 people lived there. Uh, the great uh, temple uh, of Diana was there, or the temple of Artemis, depending on which translation you read. It's different names for different languages. But it was magnificent. Uh, columns made of Perean marble decorated with gold and precious stones. But the situation in the churches weren't that way. Smyrna, by the way, is also one of the chief cities of Asia Minor. This area now we call Turkey, but it was called Asia Minor then. Smyrna was there. The city of Izmir is the city of Smyrna uh, now. But Smyrna was noted for being the first city in Asia Minor to adopt the worship of the emperor. The emperor the emperors, many of them were declared to be divine after their death. But the emperor during the time that the book of Revelation was written was the emperor Domitian, who, who, who declared himself divine while he was living and declared to be addressed as Lord and God. And so that's the situation that they were in. So we open the scripture now and we read from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So what were the present circumstances facing uh, the church in Smyrna? Well, there are three words that Jesus used, and we'll talk about two of them now, and one we'll save till later. The first one was tribulation. The word tribulation basically means the burden that crushes. And so we just know that life was not easy for these believers in Smyrna, and Jesus knew it. Do you suppose that he knows your personal circumstances? Does he know when you are walking through a difficult period in your life? And so here's the first practical lesson from the book of Revelation, if you haven't gotten one yet, and that is that Jesus knows what, where you live. He knows the circumstances surrounding your life. Not only so, the second word that described their personal circumstances was poverty. 
Now, in the Greek language, there are two words. In the New Testament was written in Greek. There are two words that come out poor in the English language or impoverished. And one of those words means so poor that you only have the bare necessities. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here means so poor that you don't have the bare necessities. They didn't have the bare necessities that they needed, and one of the reasons they didn't was because of the burden that crushed, the persecution, the tribulation that they were enduring. Many Christians of that day knew that. They experienced that. Let me give you one illustration out of the book of Hebrews. As the writer of Hebrews writes, just before he enters that great faith chapter of the Bible, chapter 11, in chapter 10, he talks about the people and what they were facing. He says in verses 33 through 35, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those who were in prison. And listen, and joyfully, and joyfully, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Imagine being in those kind of circumstances. That's the situation that people were living in in Smyrna. So Jesus says four things to these people. We'll look at them quickly. You'll see it's very practical. Number one, Jesus says to the people in Smyrna, you are about to suffer. Uh, the future holds no mysteries for the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew what was in their future. He knows what's in your future. Now, as you listen to these letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, please know that these are living letters. You'll notice the way it's written. It doesn't say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches 2,000 years ago. But he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches or is saying because the Spirit is still speaking. He knows where we live. He knows what we're facing. He knows what we will face. He says to the church at Smyrna, some of you are about to suffer. Suffering is just as inevitable for you as it was for these believers. You may not suffer for your faith, but you will suffer. That's coming for all of us. It may involve sickness or tragedy or some severe trial. Suffering is an inevitable part of life. Some sort of suffering is in your future and mine. The Bible never promises a trouble-free existence. Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. But the great assurance of God's word is, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So basically for all of us, we're not going to go around the waters of suffering. We have to go through them. You will not be exempt from the rivers of sorrow. You have to go through. You'll not escape the fires of trial. You have to go through. But the Lord does promise when you go through, whatever it is, I will be with you. The one who walked in the midst of the lampstands was walking in the midst of the suffering of these believers in Smyrna, and he will walk with you through whatever it is that you face in your future or whatever it is that you're facing right now. Number two, Jesus said to them, the devil, 
will have a hand in your suffering. Uh, he said, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. It shouldn't surprise you that the devil would have a hand in their suffering. You, ha you know about the, the book of Job in the Old Testament and the story of Job and how he suffered and how the devil wanted it to make it seem that God was the source of Job's suffering. The devil wanted Job to blame God for his problems, but it wasn't God, it was the devil. I'm sure you remember how Jesus warned Peter, Satan has, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And here Jesus is warning the church at Smyrna, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Now what did the devil want Job to believe in his suffering? He wanted him to believe it came from God. He wanted to believe him to believe that God had abandoned him in his suffering. He wanted to discourage him and dishearten him. Uh, and think that God was causing all this? And, and what did he want Job to do? He wanted Job to do the same thing that Peter did. What did Peter do when Satan sifted him? Peter wound up denying Jesus. Job wanted God, The devil wanted Job to deny God. He wants you to deny your faith and say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. To flip with this, that's the devil. That's his plan down through history He's often worked through some evil figure to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes the work of the devil is personified in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. He was personified through Pharaoh. And here in the book of Revelation, he's personified in the Roman emperor, Domitian, who hates Christians, who persecutes Christians, who, who wants to be addressed as Lord and God. So the first two facts... Facing the believers in Smyrna, number one, you're about to suffer. Number two, the devil will have a hand in your suffering. And number three, some of that suffering will be instigated by people who claim to belong to God. There were some Jews who lived in Smyrna. Now, the Jews who lived in Smyrna were just like the Jews who lived during the time of Jesus. They were lost. Uh, the Jews were lost when Jesus came. That is why he came. All the Jews who rejected him were lost when he died on the cross. They were lost when he was raised from the dead. And if they never accept Jesus as their Savior, the Jews will be lost when he returns. Paul says in chapter 9 of Romans, he, and talks about his great burden for Israel. In, that, in 9, 10, and 11, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Why did they need to be saved? Because in the time of Paul, they were lost. And he lays out, because of that, he lays out one of the clearest plans of salvation in all the Bible in Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, and 12. This is what he says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." 
And then he said in Romans 2, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, it's not genetic, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. And then Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 3, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so what Paul was saying, or what, what John is saying, is there are a group of Jews here who are just like the Jews in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, who opposed the work of the Lord Jesus Christ because they didn't believe in him. And, and Satan is going to use them to persecute you. So a person without Christ who's without God, these Jews did, in, did indeed belong to the synagogue, but the synagogue belonged to Satan and would serve as a tool to intensify the suffering of these believers. And number four, he said, your season of suffering, whatever it is and whatever it involves, will be under the sovereignty of the Savior. Revelation 2, verse 10, the last part. You will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Ray Frank Robbins, who has some connections to this church, and I've told you about those before, was my professor in seminary and taught the book of Revelation when I was in seminary this morning. I said it was 100 years ago. Somebody said, were you alive 100 years ago? Well, it was not that quite back, but it was a long time ago. He says, this does not say how long they are to be faithful, but how faithful they are to be. Now, tested for 10 days, what does that mean? It simply means this. You'll be put in a position in a set of circumstances designed to test the character of your faith. Remember Job. Remember Peter. Satan desired to have them both, and God gave them permission. Job was tested far past his breaking point, all the while believing God was the source of his suffering. But here the source will be the devil. He will test you for 10 days. That's a limited period of time under the sovereignty of God. The test comes from the devil, but the limit is set by God. Warren Wearsby said on one occasion, when God puts his children in the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the, on the thermostat. God is the one who controls the intensity of that suffering and the limit of the time of that suffering. The devil does not control your suffering. God is in control. God is in control of the circumstances of our lives. We can trust God in the midst of whatever difficulty we face, even if the devil is the one who has raised his hand against us. And so he says to these believers in Smyrna, you keep on having faith in me. You keep on being faithful, even if you die. One of the things you'll notice if you take, and I'll let you take your own survey later, I won't show you, but to every one of these churches, Jesus says, I will come and. He doesn't say that to the church in Smyrna. The only one. He doesn't say, I'm coming. In other words, I'm going to come and rescue you, or I'm going to come and rebuke you, or I'm going to come and remove your candles. He never tells them he's going to come because his challenge to them is to be faithful until death. 
And then he says, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown he's talking about was a little laurel wreath that was put on the head of a person who was in an Olympic race. And they ran and they won, and they get a little crown to say, I'm the winner, I'm the victor, I'm the conqueror. The conqueror is the one who's faithful unto death, the one who keeps being faithful in the midst of trial, the one the Lord rewards, and the one the Lord promises. You will not be impacted by the judgment to come, and here he calls it the second death. We don't really know what the second death is in chapter 2. I know you know what it is, but you don't know it when you read chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, and they didn't know it when they read chapter 2. They had to read the whole book. Because it doesn't tell us many of the symbols in the book of Revelation are explained as you read. And this is one as you get to the end of the book. The second death is the lake of fire. And what the Lord is saying is, hey, you may pass through suffering here. I'll be Lord of that. I'll control that. But make no mistake, there will be no suffering for you in eternity. Because in eternity... You will be with me. Now, do you suppose the Lord knows what's in your future? Do you suppose the the Lord knows what's around the corner for you? Yes, he does. Are you trusting him to guide you? Are you trusting him to know? Have you committed your heart and life to him? Is your eternity secure? Now, everybody's got suffering here. The Bible tells us that. The wages of sin is death. We're all going to die. That's going to happen to all of us. But what happens on the other side of that doesn't have to happen to anybody because Jesus died on the cross for you. He took the penalty of sin for you if you will trust him. If not, then you'll be like the Jews in the New Testament who didn't trust Jesus. You'll be lost, and you'll be lost until the day you trust him. And if you never trust him, you'll be lost for all eternity. That's the message of Scripture. How much do we know about the church at Smyrna? Well, this is probably the best part of this message, so let me conclude it with this story. It comes, as a matter of fact, from the minutes, we call it now the annals of the church at Smyrna because they had a good church clerk who was writing down what was happening. So scholars believe that the book of Revelation was written during the reign of Domitian, which would put it somewhere between 81 and 96. So they settle on somewhere around 90 AD. John is an old man when he writes. He's in, he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos, but God is having him send this this, these messages back to the churches. And so he's placed, John has placed in the church a leader called Polycarp. We know that because the records of the church at Smyrna reveal that. The clerk writes it down. So 50 or 60 years pass. The Lord has written this letter to them. You know the letter takes some time. It takes some time to be written, obviously. And then it takes some time to be delivered and to make it circuit through all of these churches. And by the time they read it, it's probably somewhere, we figure, around 100 A.D. That's at the turn of the second century. But what I'm going to read to you is written from 155 A.D. Let me read it. It tells us how much we know. Now, I told you Polycarp was the bishop in Smyrna. He was in the church when... Uh, the revelation of John was to be read to the church. In fact, some suggest he was probably the one who read it. And so we're fast-forwarding about 50 or 60 years. By AD 155, Polycarp was an old man. 
but still an outspoken leader of the believers in Smyrna. He was led before the proconsul, Stadius Quadratus, who charged him, as many others were charged, to swear allegiance to Caesar. In other words, to say, Caesar is Lord and curse Christ. At that, Polycarp answered, and here are his words. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? But the proconsul persisted and said, I have wild beasts. If thou repent not, I will throw thee to them. Polycarp replied, Send for them, for repentance from better to worse is not a change permitted us. Then the proconsul said, If thou dost despise the wild beast, I will make thee to be consumed by the fire, if thou repent not. And Polycarp answered, Thou threatenest the fire that burns for an hour and in a little while is quenched, for thou knowest not of the fire of the judgment to come and the fire of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why delayest thou bring what thou wilt? The crowd, said to be made up of many of the Jews of that city, brought timber and hot coals from the workshop and baths. They were about to nail Polycarp to the stake when he said, Let me endure as I am. He that granted me to endure the fire will grant me to remain without being secured by nails. And Polycarp died in the fire for his faith. And the clerk records record this statement. Polycarp was martyred. Stadius Quadratus being proconsul of Asia. Jesus Christ being king forever. Now you might never suffer for your faith. But suffering is inevitable for all of us. We won't go around the waters of suffering. We have to go through. But the one who walked through the fire with Polycarp is the one who's promised to walk through it all with you if you will put your trust in him. Let's pray together.